bottle today, sorry. Large cup of coffee. Turn with me, if you will, to uh, Joshua 24, our, our sermon scripture for today. And uh, I would ask if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Joshua 24, 14, and 15. For some reason, Ken's giving me the pause symbol, so I'll wait. There we go. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we are here to serve you. We thank you that you give us the ability to say that with confidence. We just ask that uh, you would bless this message that you've given me. Uh, Father, I know most of it's for me personally, but uh, I just thank you for this journey you've put me on and for being able to share it here today. We just ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Now, I am going to apologize. I'll probably tear up quite a bit during this. I can't help it. Um, th this has been a long process, and, and I'm kind of... I shouldn't be shocked or amazed to be able to look back and see God working through all this, uh, but I still am. And, and over the last two months, I've really found this constant theme that's been cropping up in discussions, sermons, uh, devotionals. And I liken it to just a loose thread sticking out. And, and that's very annoying. And it's really tempted to pick at it and pull at it. And that temptation to pull a loose thread can be hard to resist. It's natural to be curious. We really want to explore the potential of that tiny thread, right? You pull on it, you want to see what happens, see where it leads. Uh, sometimes it's simply a loose thread. Other times, it's that one thread that may cause that garment to completely unravel. The, the thread that I've been looking at and focusing on and, and pulling on uh, is centered around equipping those around you, or more simply, the, the tools that have been provided to us and that we provide to others. Uh, now, for my generation, those Gen X people in here, the word tool uh, it can be a bit tongue-in-cheek. It doesn't have a very positive meaning at all. It's very negative, in fact, and uh, downright insulting. Uh, and, and some people may actually recognize the, uh, the band logo used here is obviously tool, but uh, there's a reason for this. Um, in this instance, I, I'm wanting to latch on to the negative connotations, the insulting connotations of that, that word tool, um, much like the early church latched on to the image of the cross, something that was downright degrading. Uh, it, it was the worst possible punishment imaginable, but what did they do? They turned that into a symbol of hope, 
of remembrance. It's, it's that redemption of that item. And, and in this case, uh, I want to take the word tool and, and being called a tool and kind of redeem it today. Uh, I want to be a tool used by God for his kingdom. Back in 2001, this band had a popular song called Schism. Uh, and it's kind of fun because the word schism, uh, I've got the definition up here, is split or division between strongly opposed sections or parties caused by differences in opinion or belief. And the second part, the formal separation of a church into two churches or the secession of a group into owing to doctrinal and other differences. When, when I'm having to, to write either sermon for today or teachings for Wednesday nights or whenever, music plays a big, important factor for me. It's what's playing that, that can sometimes influence me. And as I'm working on this one, this song kept coming back um, because it highlights the notion that while the individual may be able to choose their own path, it often has a ripple effect on those around them. The lyrics discuss the concept, being a concept of being divided both physically and mentally, and the pain that it can cause. And it also speaks to the idea that while we may struggle to connect with each other, we're still part of a greater whole. The chorus of the song perfectly encapsulates this idea singing, divided we fall, together we stand. The song uses some powerful imagery and metaphors to illustrate the idea of, of a schism and how it affects relationships. From the opening lyrics of the song, it becomes clear that the band is attempting to explore the idea of being fragmented and how it can lead to a loss of connection. And the lyrics also discuss the idea of perception and how it can be altered by our own individual experiences and interpretations. It was interesting, I actually put the word schism into an AI article generator just to see. And I put schism by tool and, and referencing the band and the, the title of the song, just to see what the AI would come up with. And, and it's just this. I mean, it, it's crazy how that works, but uh, I could see some people having whole sermons written real soon on AI. Because I, I, when I'm referencing back to the Bible, I couldn't find anything wrong with what it was giving me. <laughs> Schisms, though, like pulling on threads, are disastrous and dangerous. Uh, we see that within the church all the time, right? The word schism automatically seems to apply to what happens mostly in churches. Uh, it, it's, this is not the loose thread that I'm chasing, though. The thread that I'm looking at and that I've been following is one that's been intentionally placed by a master tailor. It's the, by the one who created all. And following this thread for me has been important because the theme of this thread is simply that we are tools for Jesus. Several years ago, the men's mission team to Seattle came back and uh, Les, this is the first throw under the bus moment for you. Um, Les's expression that came out of that trip was pulling nails for Jesus. And, and while at the time it was somewhat meant of a, as a joke, it's also a great reminder that no matter what we do, we're doing work for the glory of God. It's his glory and no one else. Pulling nails, sweeping floors. Uh, this morning, cleaning toilets, chasing down plumbing leaks and 
blockages. As frustrating as that is, it's still all done for the glory of God. So this thread that I've been following has been presented to me in, in a lot of different ways over the last two months, and it begins with all things uh, my grandmother's decline in health and memory. From there, it moved on to a small, unassuming devotional, uh, again, less presented. Okay, there's the second throw under the bus comment for him. Uh, that got me really thinking about things. From there, it moved on to a sermon series that Ron just finished up in Hebrews. And finally, I found it in a loving eulogy given by my aunt to her mother. So this first thread begins back in late April when my mom reaches out to me to let me know that, hey, your grandmother's not doing well. They've moved her from independent living to assisted living, and then shortly from there to the memory care unit. We all know what that means. You know, Alzheimer's dementia is setting in. Uh, th there wasn't much surprise there. We'd been waiting for this to happen, expecting it to happen. Uh, she had turned 100 back in October. Figured that's a pretty good run. I don't know if I'm going to make it to the century mark. That's a kind of scary thought. Uh, this did get me thinking, however, about our family. And it brought to mind my grandfather, her husband's sudden decline in passing six years ago. Prior to that funeral, uh, Pastor Drew had actually asked me to come speak to Kingdom Life. And so I had start, started to write out a, a sermon for them. What was written for that congregation was the foundation of what I had to use at my grandfather's funeral. Uh, my grandfather was notorious, notorious for marking all of his tools with bright orange spray paint. Now, hopefully you can start connecting some, some subtle dots here. Um, in honor of him and, and in his memory, when we went to his funeral, the, the 13 grandchildren that there were, we all talked, we decided we're going to wear orange in his honor. For me, it was a tie. Uh, for others, it was a pin, you know, a, a, an accessory to whatever they were wearing. But we were all in orange as unity. And, and it gave me a chance to stand up and challenge my cousins that day, to remember that all that my grandfather had done to leave his mark on us, not just the orange color, but more importantly, how he had equipped us. Every one of us had been equipped in Christ by him. As he had done for his wife and for his children, he moved on to his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. That's, that's a, a powerful reminder. Um, and I stand here today, obviously, boldly wearing orange in, in my grandfather's memory. But I'm also kilted in my grandmother's memory. The Clan Buchanan tartan that I'm wearing is part of her history and tradition that's been passed on. Her equipping me in so many different ways. I get to stand up boldly wearing this, proclaiming all that she has done and left her mark on me. And one of the things that we were reminded of at, the, at that funeral was that uh, while we have a great heritage in our family, passed down from gener generation to generation, that's not all. It, it takes more than just things being passed down. The next generation has to want to latch on to that, has to want to own it and make it their own. 
And that's where our sermon scripture for today came in, from Joshua 24. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Such a charge that Joshua is giving to his children and the nation. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your father served in the regions beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you, you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. At that funeral, we also were reminded uh, that, that as believers, we're grafted in to the body of Christ. It doesn't matter how many generations you come from of believers, you still have to be grafted in. And being grafted into that vine is no different for somebody that comes from a generation of believers to a brand new convert that has no history within the church, with God. We're all the same once we're grafted in. We see that in John 15. And this one's a long one, but I love it. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. We're also reminded, we were also reminded, that in order for us to abide, we, have, we had to have been bought. We had to have been purchased, redeemed, and we were bought with that price. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and I say be here because I really want this part of the verse, and I apologize, I am pulling some verses somewhat out of context. You are not your own, or you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 1 Peter 1, 17, and if you call on him, as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that a lamb without blemish or spot. All this being, being passed down, being brought to memory for us in the midst of a funeral. Seems kind of odd. But, but one thing that, that really stands out, uh, unfortunately and fortunately, with funerals on this side of the family, is we are reminded 
of a verse my many great-grandmother read and prayed on her own deathbed. And it's been passed down for generations to generations. I think, if I remember correctly, she died somewhere in the mid-1700s, early 1700s. On her deathbed, she asked for her Bible, asked for it to be opened, and this is what she prayed over our family, and it continues to be passed down. Isaiah 59, 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. Sorry, this is the one that chokes me up the most. Because I think of the blessing that I can see passed down to me, hopefully, that my kids latch on to. But they need it for their own. My salvation doesn't cover them. I know as parents, that's one of the most troubling things, is thinking about your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and praying that they would know God that they would see what he's done in your life. That they would understand and accept that repentance, that forgiveness that's offered. So I begin to think about all these things um, and reminisce because I know my grandmother's death is coming. I'm following this thread. Uh, the, the second thread cropped up in a, in a unique time and place back in May. Hopefully no one's surprised that uh, the deacons have a small devotional when we meet. Hopefully it shouldn't be very surprising. It should be a good thing. Back in May, Les had volunteered to speak and was uh, giving the devotional and presented on Proverbs 31, 10 through 12. But he focused on verse 11 specifically. Les, if this is not what you intended, this is what I got from it, so thank you. Proverbs 31, 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. His devotional was on equipping our wives to do the task God has given them to do through prayer, encouragement, support, our being present physically, mentally, and emotionally. What stuck with me the most is, is less saying that we needed to give our wives, our children, our families, our friends, the tools necessary for them to be successful in what God had called them to be and to do. So for that, we also look at Psalm 127. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord and a fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Proverbs 22, 6. We know this one. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And one of my favorite passages that Ron concluded in Hebrews yesterday is the benediction in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of, our, God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good 
that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So I joke that, uh, Les, you've been a great influence for this whole, this whole thing, and I really do appreciate it because looking back, I get to see, hey, a little statement here, a comment there, done with all love and sincerity. God prepared in advance for me to come to this point. So thank you. This, this third thread that I followed is, is a hard one for me. Because while many verses speak about husbands and fathers, how we're to equip our wives and families, one of my favorite benedictions, as I just said, is... is reminding us that we are to be equipped by God. And, and Ron spoke on this as he closed out the book of Hebrews, what, a month ago? Has it been? And uh, having access to his notes has been great because I just pulled this chunk right out of his last sermon on Hebrews. And I think it's so appropriate. So, again, if this sounds like deja vu, you have heard it before. This passage in Hebrews, the author closes his letter with a benediction and an appeal. And again, I'm going to read it. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He ends by reminding us. You trying to tell me something? Thank you. He ends by reminding us of the one true great leader whom we're all following. The great shepherd of the sheep. The one risen from the dead. The one whose blood sealed God's new covenant. May he equip you. The word equip means to prepare, to fix, to get in order. Like a mechanic fixing a car or a coach preparing the team. God's aim is to equip you for doing his will. He works in us what he wants us to do and work out from us. It's the same word we find in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Again, these are Ron's directly out of his his notes. So God uses apostles, prophets, pastor, teachers to equip the church for works of ministry. The aim is not to fill your head with information, but to equip you to do ministry so that the church will be built up. So finally, where does that lead me? Well, it leads me to the actual funeral. The final thread that I've been chasing in this theme. Um, my aunt spoke and, and read a beautiful letter and uh, talked about her mother in the decline, in the grips of Alzheimer's and dementia, when her mind was physically gone, when her physical body was deteriorating. She made a comment about how childlike my grandmother had become. Her mind ravaged by dementia, her body failing. My aunt said, it's like God is preparing to bring her home 
and she used this passage in Matthew. Matthew 18. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not normal for me. It's not normal for Ron preaching from this pulpit. And I know Jim, Ricky, Bill. But for those of you that are interested, actually look at your watch. This is short. As I look back on my grandparents, both of their life and ministries, I see decades of using their limited time that they had with me, with each of their grandchildren, with each of their great-grandchildren, to begin to equip us, to equip me for what God has called me to do. But it makes me ask, who am I equipping? Ron said it in the closing of Hebrews, that apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers are all used to equip the church. Am I doing that? Are we as husbands and fathers equipping our wives and children? Are the older men and women in the church equipping the younger men and women? Are we mentoring? Are we sharing? Are we involving our lives in such a way that we can have those relationships? Do we see the mature in the faith shepherding the young in the faith? not for me to answer, but it is a challenge for each and every one of us to make sure that we are truly working in the lives of those God has put us with, putting aside our all, all of our personal preferences, our desires, to make sure that we are building the kingdom, that we're equipping the next generation to come. Crestmont's got a, got a sad history, right? We're, we're seeming to be missing a generation in this church. There's an age gap. What are we doing to fix that and prevent that from happening again and again? And it's just not Crestmont. You can see this all over the world in the church. There are huge gaps right now. Ron's talked about it quite a bit, the nuns, the generation that has stepped away from religion altogether. What are we doing to reach them? What are we doing that beyond that generation to reach down and, and help the next one? A lot of questions, not a lot of answers. But we need to do what we can. It's not easy. It's downright painful most of the time. After all, what is our church but a hospital for the sick and broken, right? There's no doctor in here but Christ. And we just need to remember that. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. Father God, we are sick. We are hurting. We are broken. 
but by the blood of Jesus we are all healed. Father, we thank you and praise you for sending your son who willfully went to the cross and died so we may live again. Father, send your spirit. Empower each and every one of us to get out of our comfort zone. To be willing to stand up in this day and age in this cancel culture and speak boldly and proclaim Jesus. Proclaim Christ crucified, died, buried, and resurrected that we may live again. Father, let the joy of that shine through us. Father, let our families, our wives, our children, our grandchildren Be drawn to you. Use us mightily, Father. We are your tools. Father, we thank you. We praise you and we ask this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, most of you know my background is not Baptist. But I will still offer an invitation. <laughs> if you have questions, if you need prayer, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come forward, talk to us. I'll be up here. Jim's available. We want you to understand what that means. Now, because I am not a true Baptist and I'm still Presbyterian at heart, I can't stand up here and not give a benediction. So I will do that before Michael leads us and closes us. And that benediction is simply Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you will do his will, working in that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.